Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Yeah, uh, Elon Musk announced via Twitter that they were changing it all to X.com. Twitter will now become known as X. And they want to make it like a WeChat thing that China runs. And they want to scoop up like everybody for like, so you will do all of your everything on X.com, which I'm sure will create, you know, no problems whatsoever when uh, you get your credit card bill and your wife says, hey, what is this X.com that you're spending $8 a month on? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Speaking of China, I came across a, uh, a story the other day by Gordon Chang called China's Saboteurs Are Coming to America. We, I actually uh, talked about this a little bit over the weekend. I was up in the, went, went back up to uh, the mountains, Western North Carolina this weekend. I was uh, part of an event called the Heritage Life Skills event and did a chat with Dr. William Forstgen. He is the author of uh, what's called the John Matherson series, and it started with the first book back in, I want to say, 04, was uh, one second after, and he's kind of been dubbed the uh, the the founder of the prepper movement because this book it just talked about what happened if an EMP goes off uh, over America, and he just focused on his town, which is Black Mountain, North Carolina. He's a teacher, he's a professor at Montreat College, and uh, he also wrote a, a, an alternative historical book about Gettysburg. Uh, with Newt Gingrich, he's friends with Newt Gingrich because they're both, you know, from their history professors, and so they would, they, they, I guess, hung out on the history professor circuit, as it were. I don't know. Um, and so uh, he was up there. He's got the fourth book out, and uh, it's hitting the uh, the bookshelves now, and it's available for purchase. It's called Five Years Later, and so this is the fourth book because it just documents this town and and the people in it and how they. And it's based on Black Mountain, so people who have ever been up there know the area that he's talking about. Um, but one of the things that, you know, he tries to, and this is what launched the quote unquote prepper movement as it were. Uh, but he, he rejects this idea. There are others before him that he credits for that, but all he does is ask people. And as part of the research for his book, he went around asking people, you know, what would happen? Uh, police chief, he sat down with the chief of police of his hometown and, uh, he asks him like, what happens if, uh, an EMP goes off, what do you do? And, uh, he says the chief reaches over and picks up his radio, and he's like, oh, no radios. And he says, no, no radios, because they get fried. Uh, and he says, do we, have, do we have vehicles? And he says, no, more than likely not, all the vehicles are fried. And when you start walking through all of the things that get affected, refrigeration, because everything's on electrical, and all the electrical grid goes down. That's the whole point of an EMP. Uh, it, it takes down the electrical grid and fries everything, I think, with... Uh, with a microprocessor or solenoid, whatever. And so everything basically is, uh, is fried. And so what happens? The first thing that, you know, how do you get water? That's the first challenge. Cause within a couple of days, if you don't get water, you're going to be dead. Then comes food, medicine, 
right? People who rely on electricity for life-saving machines, for example, people in hospitals and hospice, they're on, you know, backup generators or something. Um, but if those generators are just, uh, you know, tied into the grid, uh, then then they're going to get fried too. Um, and so what do you do to prepare for that? And that's what got people thinking in these terms. And, and look, you know, hurricane season is upon us, and uh, we saw the tornado in North Carolina. Uh, you should never expect for relief to arrive within the first two weeks. That's sort of, I mean, even the government will tell you that. You go to their website, their, uh, you know, how to be prepared stuff from uh, Department of Homeland Security. They tell you to have food and water supplies and, uh, you know, various items and medicine available for you for at least two weeks. So you should build up to that. And that's not crazy. That's not tinfoil hat stuff. Uh, a solar flare, for example, can can launch a, uh, can act as an EMP, sends these electromagnetic pulses. But we have also seen in recent years now um, attacks on various crucial pieces of industry and infrastructure, right? We've seen uh, problems and fires set at uh, food processing facilities. Um, we have seen what was just in Moore County. Somebody went and shot up a couple of power substations, right? Very low tech. You don't even need an EMP. Knocked out power for what, two weeks around Christmas time for tens of thousands of people. And if you have, uh, according to uh, the energy industry, if you have nine to a dozen of these substations fail, if they go offline, the cascade effect, because what happens is they, it tries to shift the power to existing infrastructure. And what happens once you have nine or 12 of these substations go down, it's, it, it starts a cascade effect. And Donald Trump in his last um, few months in office, he actually uh, told all of the agencies to go and start creating response plans. And according to Dr. Forstian, on day one, when Biden took over, he uh, he undid that. There was the infrastructure deal, the bipartisan infrastructure deal at a one point three trillion dollars. I think it was like less than one percent. I think it was point oh one percent went to hardening uh, the infrastructure. But all of that was d- designed to combat cyber attacks, which is good. It was like 13 billion, 11 of which was to harden targets against cyber attacks and extreme weather, extreme weather, but not not in hardening the infrastructure for EMP attacks or for shooting up substations, that sort of stuff. And there are some low-tech things that you could do, actually, to guard against uh, the shooting of the substations. Screening, for example, put up, like, if you got a chain-link fence, put up screening inside, you know, weave it through the fence so this way you can't directly see where the target is to shoot at. And then there was this story that I uh, saw the other day, I guess it was, uh, yeah, last week, that uh, investigators say that they found several items on a railroad track in Lancaster County, South Carolina. They were in the Heath Springs and Pleasant Hill area of the county. Lancaster County Sheriff's deputies said they worried if it keeps happening, a train could derail. Doug Barfield with the uh, Sheriff's Office said deputies got word from Lancaster and Chester Railway that somebody was tampering with tracks along Highway 521, which runs from Kershaw to just west of Chester. 
Barfield said somebody is jamming the railroad spikes into the seams of the rails. He said any obstruction to railway tracks could cause major problems. They're switching points where rails are divided for the train to go one way or the other, right? These switch points. And if you have these seams between where the, you know, where the rail lines are and the, each rail comes up to the next rail, and by sticking something in there, it creates a, you know, a vertical uh, piece of debris that could send the wheel off the track. And he says they found some spikes jammed down into those switching positions in the rails. WBTV reports uh, that they say last week over the, uh, I guess this would have been two weeks ago, they said several times over the week, uh, two weeks ago, somebody had been taking discarded railroad spikes and uh, putting them on the tracks. The spikes, which are typically about six to eight inches long, are usually nailed down to hold the cross ties in place, the wooden cross ties. But crews sometimes will just toss them aside after they're finished with the work. So after they fix a, um, a cross tie or something, they just if they got extras, they just or, or the, the spent ones, they just throw them on the side. Trains hitting the spikes can uh, can be dangerous. It could lead to a derailment. Local officials said placing the spikes on the rails not only creates a safety issue, but is also illegal. And just to be clear, I'm not aware that this is a placing of the spikes on the rails. It is a uh, jamming them down into the seams. And that's a bit of a different issue. If you just set it on the rail, I'm not sure that poses the same risk. It might. But jamming it down into the seams seems like it creates a bigger problem. So with that in the back of my head, I, I recalled the story from Gordon Chang. China saboteurs are coming to America. And he quotes a fellow by the name of Michael Yan, who was a war correspondent. And he has been hanging out down in Central America at a place called the Darien Gap, I think it's called, or the Darien Pass. Uh, it's in Panama. And he is observing Chinese nationals of, you know, military age, young men, and exhibiting certain behaviors that might indicate they are members of the PLA, the People's Liberation Army. Oh, and before I forget, have you got your ticket to the Heritage Life Skills event yet? I'll be there. The annual event is put on by Carolina Readiness Supply, and you can learn all sorts of ways to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables. I'll be there Saturday evening. Check out the schedule at carolinareadiness.com. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness can help you. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? So apparently the computer just uh, crashed out. I'm thinking it's China. China. Where they don't... Yeah, I'm thinking it's... Can I play? Let's see here. Can I? I got to check and see if my uh, my Chinatown, yeah. where they don't speak even English in that Chinatown. There we go. I just got to make sure that the audio still works here. Um, so before the break, I was talking about this. Uh, I was getting ready to talk about this uh, article. China's saboteurs are coming to America. It's by Gordon Chang. Gordon Chang is I think he's been on with uh, Brett Winterbull here at three to uh, three to seven on WBT. He is the author of a book, The Coming Collapse of China. He is a distinguished senior fellow, that's a title, at the Gatestone Institute. 
And he had a piece, uh, and a, a version of it appeared, I want to say, at the Daily Signal, maybe Daily Caller, I forget where, but this is from his, uh, his own website. He says, Chinese migrants are entering the United States on foot at the southern border. Almost all are desperate, seeking a better life for themselves and their children. Some, however, are coming to commit acts of espionage. And he relies on some reporting by Michael Yan, who is a war correspondent. Chang says many are short-circuiting the long waits at the consulates. At the southern border, Chinese migrants are entering the United States in unprecedented numbers. U.S. Customs and Border Protection reports that the number of apprehensions of Chinese migrants in the first five months of the current federal fiscal year was more than double, double, that during all of the last fiscal year. The 8,000 Chinese migrants apprehended this calendar year are more than quadruple the number apprehended in the comparable period a year ago. So first, uh, what, first half of the last year, it was 2,000. Now we're at 8,000. Chinese nationals are flying to Ecuador, which permits them to enter visa-free. They then make their way to the southern edge of the Darien Gap, which is about 66 miles of jungle separating Colombia from Panama. The migrants cross the natural barrier on foot, and once safely on the north side, they continue their journey to America, often by bus. Some Chinese migrants are poor. Many, however, are middle class. They can afford to pay $35,000 each to Mexican cartels to be smuggled into America. But some migrants are almost certainly members of China's PLA, the People's Liberation Army. In fact, we have found some. There is no question, he says, that China's PLA is inserting saboteurs through Mexico. This is from Michael Yan. Quote, at the Darien Gap, I have seen countless packs of Chinese males of military age, unattached to family groups and pretending not to understand English. They were all headed to the American border. Normally, in groups of 5 to 15, they typically emerge from the Darien Gap. They spend one night in the U.S.-funded San Vicente Camp or next door in the Tonosi Hotel before boarding luxury buses for the trip up Highway 1 towards Costa Rica. One group of six young men bought a chicken at the Tenosi Hotel. They then drank its blood from small glasses, then cooked the chicken themselves in the hotel restaurant. That was according to the hotel manager. Now, I don't say this as like some sort of, you know, culturalist. How dare you denigrate them for drinking chicken blood? Like, I would be worried about salmonella, but apparently, I, I don't know. But I did not know this. Michael Yan, the war correspondent, does that drinking raw chicken blood is a right among some PLA soldiers. So, okay. All right, so you have a bunch of guys that are doing a ritual that the PLA does. They are young men of military age, unattached to any family members. I, I don't know. I, I think that's, that, that's worthy of a mention. So once here, the military fighters could link up with China's agents already in place or Chinese diplomats. Remember, we've, we just busted a bunch of these, um, uh, what do they call them, Chinese police stations, one of which I think was in Charlotte. And they found them all over the place. And this is where 
China, the communists, send their, uh, their, their domestic police agents to harass, intimidate, uh, uh, maybe even, you know, well, I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to make any accusations against any of the local community. So, uh, but they're here to pressure and harass and intimidate Chinese nationals or, or uh, family members of people back in China that they are trying to pressure to do other things. So this is not a question of if there are members of the Communist Chinese Party military in America. It's a question of how many of them are here. And Chang estimates uh, or says some estimates put it between 5,000 all the way up to 10,000. So what would they be used for? According to Chang, these are China's shock troops. And the concern is that on the first day of war in Asia, they will take down America's power lines, poison water reservoirs, assassinate officials, start wildfires, spread pathogens, create terror, maybe by bombing shopping malls and supermarkets. Right? The purpose of this, this is asymmetrical warfare, right? If they're going to invade Taiwan, they want America occupied with something else. And so if you, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take many people. It just takes some trained individuals that know what they're doing, shooting up a couple of power substations, maybe, jamming a couple of rail spikes into some trains that derail some, you know, nasty, toxic chemicals, whatever. And all of a sudden, you got us scrambling to do all these other things to respond And, oh, look at that. On the other side of the world, China just took Taiwan. The saboteurs will almost certainly also attack American military bases. China has already been probing sensitive installations. Did you know this? Chinese agents posing as tourists have intruded into bases, including the Army's Fort Wainwright in Fairbanks, Alaska. There, the agents drove past a base gate and were later apprehended with a drone inside their car. Ancient Chinese strategists prized the use of subterfuge and surprise to achieve victory, and the two PLA colonels who wrote the book Unrestricted Warfare in 1999 were full of praise for the tactics of Osama bin Laden. When the Chinese Communist Party starts its war against Taiwan and the U.S., Americans should expect that Chinese sleeper agents now in America will hit targets. Like gas stations, military-aged Chinese now crossing the border will be mobilized for maybe assassination attacks, assaults on U.S. military bases. The next war in Asia will almost certainly be fought on U.S. soil, perhaps on its first day, and unsuspecting Americans will be in the fight. Immigrants make countries strong, and almost all the Chinese migrants crossing the southern border will contribute to American society. However, some are coming to wage war on America. Let's go get an update now. We'll go over to WBT. No. Oh, oh, I got to keep going. There's never mind. There's no, uh, we still don't have the computer system. Well, let me then bounce to this. Speaking of China. After exhausting area. Oh, have you ever heard of this thing? The floating cities. Have you heard this term floating cities? It's China. Spoiler alert. It's China. After exhausting areas close to home. China's vast fishing fleet has moved into the waters of other nations, depleting fish stocks. This is from 2020. This is a piece from Yale School of the Environment. 
So hardly some right-wing, xenophobic, anti-Chinese type of publication, okay? Which is one of the it's a great paradox to me is how so many people on the left that claim to be environmentalists turn a blind eye to the abuses of Gaia Earth, you know, enacted by the Communist uh, Party in China. And make no mistake, this is more than a, just seafood, okay? This is more than about getting seafood. China looks to assert itself on the seas and further its geopolitical ambitions and this is not just in East, uh, East Asia. This is all the way to Latin America. For years, nobody knew why dozens of battered wooden ghost boats, they called them, ghost boats, they would just float up, wash up on the coast of Japan. And they, some of them would have corpses in them of North Korean fishermen whose starved bodies were sometimes reduced to skeletons. A recent investigation... By NBC News, conducted by Ian Urbina, who is from the Yale School of, of the Environment. They used satellite data, which found what marine researchers now say is the most likely explanation for these ghost boats. It's that China is sending a previously invisible armada of industrial boats to illegally fish in North Korean waters. That forced out the smaller North Korean boats and led to a decline in the once-abundant squid stocks. More than 70% decline. The North Korean fishermen washing up in Japan apparently ventured too far from shore in a vain search for squid, and they died. The Chinese vessels, more than 700 of them, again, this is three years ago, more than 700 of them, appear to be in violation of UN sanctions, that prohibit foreign fishing in North Korean waters. Those sanctions were imposed in 2017 in response to the country's nuclear tests. And they were aimed at punishing North Korea by not allowing it to sell fishing rights in its waters in exchange for valuable foreign currency, because that's what North Korea was doing. Like, hey, you want to come fish our waters? I mean, nobody here can afford boats, so it's totally cool by us. You give us some of that sweet foreign uh, currency, and uh, then, you know, our leader can still afford to eat something besides dirt and rocks like his population does. Estimates of the total size of China's global fishing fleet vary. By some calculations, China has anywhere from 200,000 fishing boats all the way up to 800,000 fishing boats. These are industrial-sized boats. They account for nearly half of the world's fishing activity. The Chinese government says that its distant water fishing fleet is what they call it, the distant water fishing fleet. In other words, not, you know, local water. They're going out 200 miles into international water. Those numbers are about 2,600. However, that's what the communist government says. And what do I always say about commies? Rule number one, they lie. They lie. That number is probably closer to 17,000 three years ago with many of the ships being invisible, like those that uh, satellite data discovered in the North Korean waters. By comparison, the U.S. distant water fishing fleet has fewer than 300 vessels. China is the world's biggest seafood exporter. But the population of China also eats more than one-third of all the fish consumed in the entire world. 
All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items. From modern tactical gear to historical collectibles, Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. So I am not sure what happened uh, in the first part of the program when we got underway. I started talking about an EMP. I started talking about uh, Chinese saboteurs and all of a sudden we got knocked offline. The radio station got the signal got knocked offline. I got you, Cirque de la Soul, uh, who says uh, on Twitter or on on X, as it's now called. I'm sorry, it's I don't think I'm ever going to call it X. Uh, hey Pete, are we in an EMP simulation drill right now? The show went offline right after you told us everything would be fried. Guess I'll have to listen to the podcast for your answer. <laughs> uh, Streams are down on iHeart and on the website EMP, question mark. I do not know, Dave. We're not sure what happened. We got our engineer coming on site, but apparently we're back up. If you can't hear me, uh, give us a call right now, 704-570-1110. Let me know that you you cannot hear me. Also, 1-800-WBT-1110. That's the other uh, phone number, too. So uh, going over this, uh, this was a story from three years ago by uh, the Yale School of the Environment talking about China and its floating cities, this ever-expanding fishing fleet that is now, three years down the road, depleting the world's oceans. China is not only the biggest seafood exporter, uh, but they also eat more than a third of all of the fish on the planet. Having depleted the seas close to its home, the Chinese fishing fleet has been sailing farther and farther away in recent years to exploit the waters of other countries, including those in West Africa and Latin America, where enforcement tends to be weaker as local governments lack the resources or the inclination to police their waters. Most Chinese distant water ships are so large that they scoop up as many fish in one week as local boats from Senegal or Mexico catch in a year. In a year. It's amazing. So fast forward. Fast forward to last month, June 5th, 2023, in a piece at DialogoAmericas.com. Headline, Chinese fishing vessels floating cities prey on Latin American seas. It's a story by Guillermo Saavedra, and he says, The waters off the coast of Argentina are home to a unique phenomenon, seemingly floating cities of fishing vessels that exploit the lack of legislation in international waters to plunder the marine ecosystem. Most are part of China's vast fishing fleet, which numbers in the hundreds and operate in international waters without any oversight or regulation, abusing legal loopholes to fish. Basically, if you've, if you've seen photos, or if you haven't seen photos of it, it, basically they get all of these boats and they just tie them all together. Kind of like the Lake Norman thing where everybody, you know, ties off together and they they drink all day. Same idea, except there's like hundreds of boats 
These are all industrial boats. They get them all side by side, packed in. And you don't even need people on them all the time. This thing just, it's just a massive city. And then they turn on all these lights and the lights attract the kinds of fish that they are trying to scoop up, namely the squids. From a distance, the clusters of lights resemble a sunrise. Up close, they look like cities whose lights are captured from satellites. These floating cities cities are made up of about 600 vessels, 80% of which fly the Chinese flag. The numerous lights attract the plankton that squid um, primarily feed on, and that has earned them the floating cities analogy. The number of vessels has tripled in the last 20 years. And off the coast of Argentina, which is the Atlantic, this is, there's an area, they, they fish in an area called the Atlantic Blue Hole. It's like 6,600 square kilometers, and the seafloor drops off really steeply, really abruptly. And you get, that means you get the cold water currents, you get the warm water uh, currents, and that means you have a lot of marine productivity and biodiversity there. So you get a lot of different fish, lots of spawning, lots of baby fish making, and trying to keep sending these cities out there to basically strip mine all the fish, right? They're just taking all the fish from the coasts. And this is also off the coast of America. 200 miles out, they're doing all of this stuff. And so now there's an effort to do an international treaty to try to stop some of this overfishing that basically only China is doing. At some point, people, eyes need to be open to what the communists are doing. All right, so uh, this piece here at uh, dialogoamericas.com talking about these Chinese fishing fleets that have parked themselves off the coasts of Latin American countries, but also African countries, where nobody really has much of an appetite to go after the Chinese. The International Labor Organization, by the way, estimates that in 2021 there were some 128,000 fishermen trapped in forced labor on fishing vessels working up to 20 hours a day at sea for months or years before returning to port. I'm as shocked as you are that communists would be taking advantage of their workforce. It's really, it's really just completely shocking. Yeah. How can you close me up? On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much.